Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Genanthro listeners. As you know, we try to bring you stories every week about people, the planet, and people on the planet. For the most part, though, this show is put together by just three people, Miles, Leslie, and me. We need your help. A lot of people are finding us through iTunes, and we get more visibility when we have ratings and reviews. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe, and then take just a few short minutes to rate us on iTunes. It really helps. Also, if you have ideas for how we can reach more people, please get in touch. Our email is genanthropocene at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Let's get to the show. Wait a sec. How old is the Earth again? 4.6 billion. The Earth forms. Cambrian. 542 million. Complex life explodes. Permian Triassic. 251 million. 90% of species die. Cretaceous tertiary. 65 million. Meteor kills the dinosaurs. 55 million. Primates appear. 2.3 million. Pleistocene. 200,000. Humans 20,000. Agricultural 250. Industrial revolution. 60. Great acceleration. The Anthropocene. Welcome to Generation Anthropocene, where we tell stories of people, the planet, and people on the planet. I'm Mike Osborne. Today on the show, we're going to talk about your outfit. It's a problem. Actually, so is mine. In fact, all of our outfits are a problem. As ego-conscious people, we try to make decisions in our daily lives about how we can be better and create a more environmentally sustainable planet. But we almost never think about our clothes. So today, Leslie Chang brings us a story about our fashion footprint. And as far as your outfit goes, I take it back. Today, you look fantastic. Here's Leslie. Have you ever had that experience where you're getting dressed in the morning, you pick out a favorite shirt, everything should be fine. But then you look in the mirror and you say to yourself, ugh, shoot, it's just not working for me today. So you take it off, put something else on, and then the same thing happens. So you put the first shirt on again, and it's still not working for you, and the next thing you know, you're late for work. What is happening in that moment? What goes through our minds when we pick out our clothes? Sure, some of it is based on weather or what activities we'll be doing, or maybe if we have an important meeting that day. But our clothes are more than just things we put on to keep warm. Our wardrobe is a reflection of who we are. When we put on our clothes, in a way, we're putting on our identities. And of course, it all starts with shopping. When we're eyeing displays, browsing through the discount racks, and striking a pose in the dressing room mirror, we're mostly asking the question, is this me? 
we almost never ask the question, where did this jacket come from? Now, in terms of the backstory of our clothes, you've probably heard about labor issues surrounding garment factory workers. Low wages in countries like Bangladesh and China make it possible for us to buy $5 t-shirts here in America. And to be sure, that is the important backstory to know. But since this is Generation Anthropocene, I wanted to look specifically into the environmental impacts. We make daily decisions about what to wear, so it must all add up, right? It turns out that in addition to rampant labor issues, the globalized apparel industry also has a huge environmental footprint that's mostly hidden from view. To get my head around all this, I reached out to Elizabeth Klein. She's a journalist and the author of the book, Overdressed, The Shockingly High Cost of Cheap Fashion. Because the industry has pretty much switched us over to disposable consumption, the industry, which has always kind of been toxic and had a pretty severe environmental footprint, has multiplied. A few years ago, Elizabeth looked in her closet and decided to tally up all her clothes. She discovered that she had 354 items of clothing, and that didn't even include socks and underwear. Her wardrobe is not unusual. Americans buy a ton of clothes. And before we go any further, men? Don't blame this on women. Some recent studies suggest that men are now shopping and buying as much clothes as women. So how did we get here? Well, unsurprisingly, a lot of it is about price, and clothes have never been cheaper than they are today. Retailers like Forever 21, Old Navy, and H&M, not to mention big box stores like Target, Walmart, and Costco, have normalized super low prices. Some of these companies can churn out new styles so quickly, from design to shelf, that the industry has been dubbed fast fashion. All of this has changed consumer attitudes towards clothing. It's so cheap that we're conditioned to think of clothes as expendable. So people kind of consume at least a certain portion of their wardrobe in the same way that they would like a cup of coffee or a bottle of water. You're out on a Saturday, you pop into a store, you buy something because it's like $10. We're kind of consuming clothes as if it's a commodity and something that can like be consumed and tossed out. I don't know about you, but I've definitely been guilty of buying something that maybe doesn't fit quite perfectly, or maybe I'm not totally sure what occasion I'll wear it for. But screw it. It's cheap, so might as well, right? Over time, this kind of behavior adds up. And the energy required to make t-shirts and jeans is also vastly, vastly greater than the energy used to create a plastic bottle or a cup of coffee. So... Clothes just really pack a surprising amount of environmental harm. Fast fashion has made clothes so cheap, a lot of times people won't even bother returning something that they didn't want in the first place. This is something that came up in my conversation with Nick Angelov. He's a professor at UMass Dartmouth and also author of The Dirty Side of the Garment Industry, Fast Fashion and Its Negative Impact on Environment and Society. I talked to Nick over Skype, and just as a quick heads up, in places the audio quality is a little echoey. Buyer remorse is the thing that has plagued the apparel industry forever. What's buyer remorse? You buy something, you take it home and say, I can't believe I just spent $150 on jeans. Return it tomorrow. Fast fashion killed buyer remorse. So today, we're much less likely to feel buyer remorse because clothes are so cheap that we feel less stupid about ill-advised purchases. 
Before becoming a professor, Nick worked in the apparel industry. He saw firsthand how the economics and marketing started changing in the 1980s. Once upon a time, there were two main fashion seasons a year, fall, winter, and spring, summer. Now, some retailers are pushing 24 or more seasons in a year. Fresh styles are being put on the shelves every two weeks, so there's always something new to buy. Americans purchase roughly 20 billion garments per year, and our consumption habits are catching on in other countries. The rest of the world seems to be adopting our insatiable appetite for bursting closets. That's why the ecological problems that I'm describing in the book are, are, are so pervasive that entire ecosystems are being destroyed because there's just the volume is incredible. The production chain of a single item of clothing can be a very involved journey. From the cotton fields to your local target, our clothes are often assembled along a grand international conveyor belt. To give you an idea of what that might look like, let's talk about cotton. The U.S. is actually the world's largest exporter of cotton. After it's grown here, it might be shipped across the world to somewhere like India, where it's transformed into fabric. Now, processing natural cotton into fabric that's ready to be sewn into a t-shirt requires a lot of water. In fact, according to Nick Angelov, after agriculture, the apparel industry is the second largest consumer of water in the world. Making cozy, soft t-shirts also requires a lot of heat and chemicals. Natural cotton has a yellow tinge to it, so manufacturers bleach it to get a perfect white. And Nick told me that bleach is often dumped straight into open waterways. After that, cotton goes through a few more wet processes. So the most environmentally taxing of the wet processes is something that is known as uh, sizing, singeing, and mercerizing. And that's the pretreatment of the fibers in a combination of acid and base, that is, and then it's done through um, high temperatures in water environments. A lot of our clothing today is made of a polyblend, meaning that it's cotton mixed with synthetic materials like polyester. The mercerizing and singeing helps those synthetic materials stick better to the cotton fibers. And then we add colors by dyeing. And the dyeing is, at this point, the most toxically taxing process because the bright and steadfast dyes that don't wash out in the wash contain very high quantities of heavy metals and what we call trace elements. So the end effect is that one ton of textile pollutes on average of 200 tons of water to levels that deem it unsuitable for human and animal use. And again, like the bleach water earlier in the production process, those dyes are often dumped straight into open waterways. Just to give you a sense of what that looks like, in researching the story, I found many bizarre images of purple rivers and orange lakes near fabric processing sites. Needless to say, the toxins and heavy metals in those dyes can have terrible environmental and human health consequences. Once the fabric is completed, it might be shipped off to China or Bangladesh, where it's cut and sewn into clothes. And then, finally, finally, it's shipped back to the countries where it's sold. Then our clothes live in our closet for a while, where we put them on, decide we don't like them for some weird reason, and then they live in the back drawer until we finally decide we need more space. What happens next when we're done? Some of it gets donated, of course, where it might get resold and reworn. But according to the Council for Textile Recycling, 85% of our clothes end up in landfill. 
we throw away more than 20 billion pounds of clothes a year. Okay, so now that you have a feel for the global story, where does all this leave us? Unless you live in a nudist colony on a tropical island, in which case, more power to you. We have to wear clothes. So how can we, as environmentally conscious clothes-wearing people on the planet, be more mindful about our clothes? Well, one place we might start is with the stores and brands themselves. But according to Elizabeth Klein, there just aren't that many options on this front. There just aren't that many players. Like, everybody shops at the same places. If you ask someone what they have on, there's like, you know it's going to be like one of six stores. So that's the other thing, is we've sort of like shopped ourselves out of an alternative. There are a few ethical fashion brands out there like Everlane, Zadie, Quiana, and Patagonia. But right now, sustainable clothing hasn't really broken into the mainstream. It's not like there's this store that you can walk into where everything looks like it's the same kind of trendy stuff that you'd see in H&M, but it's in this other store where everything's like ethical and sustainable. That doesn't exist yet. Both Elizabeth and Nick would like to see greater regulation of the apparel industry. But in the meantime, there are a few choices everyday people can make. We can start by just buying less. It's not an advice that my colleagues in the fashion industry like. <laughs> okay. But I will stick to it. And that is, try not to buy any clothes for one year. If you're hearing me, chances are you live in a place where you have more than enough to get by in your closet. From what I can tell and from what consumer surveys show, most of the clothes that we're buying, we're not even wearing. We're buying so much of our clothes simply because they're on sale or they're really cheap. So they just sit, they just sit in our closets. We might wear them once and then we're like, oh God, why did I buy this? So I started to talk to people about trying to cut out those purchases. Let's just cut out the stuff that we're buying on impulse and buying because it's cheap. Let's start there. And I think just that is going to get us to a place where we're actually buying a lot less. One approach is to save that money and invest it in a few higher quality items that will last longer. Or you could also try renting clothes. There are companies springing up like Rent the Runway, La Tote, and Gwinnie Bee that make it easy. And if you're listening to this and feeling like you want to make a change, but you're realizing you have a closet full of fast fashion brands, don't sweat it. You're not alone. The second big piece of advice is to try to give the clothes you do have a good life. Wear what you already have for longer because a lot of the impact of the fashion industry comes from us constantly going out and consuming new products. So we need to appreciate what we have in our closets. And when the time comes and you are ready to part ways with an article of clothing, there's always Goodwill. And if it's in really rough shape, it turns out there are textile recycling companies that want your old clothes. These operations can repurpose old clothing into insulation, carpet padding, or rags. As for the production side, Nick Angeloff says he sees more and more people taking an interest in the subject. People who care about this, who are into the sciences, are talking. There's a lot of research going in chemistry departments at university levels to come up with safer dyes, eco dyes, different dyes. Um, so there is a discussion. The issue is gaining momentum. Obviously, it is impossible to be environmentally conscious in every decision we make every day. Try as we might, the world just doesn't work that way. 
So we make an effort to carpool or ride our bikes when we can, maybe eat organic food, buy the right light bulbs. For the most part, though, we haven't stopped to think about our clothes. It's one area in our lives where we could all probably do better. And it starts with how we shop. Just curious, do you ever still walk into fast fashion stores? Um, Yeah, I do. But mostly if I'm in a fast fashion store, it's because I'm working on researching. (laughs) Yeah, I really have no desire to shop in a fast fashion chain. And I mean, it's, it's partially because, you know, I'm like in my 30s now and like my style has changed. But um, it's also uh, for me, mostly about the materials and the craftsmanship. That's the most unexpected piece of doing this research is that I've gotten more materialistic about clothing in the sense that like, I care a lot about what my clothes are made out of. And the vast majority of the clothes sold in fast fashion stores, like I just don't want to own it. And the other thing is that because of the prices, like we are hardwired to respond to low price. So, I mean, I'm human. Like I'll give you an example. Every summer I go to the beach with my family and we always go to Target when we get to the beach to buy everything we need for the house food and uh I don't know if somebody like left their beach towel or whatever in like I just like two summers ago I was like oh my god those clothes are so cute you know you just like find yourself like drifting over there and then suddenly you have this like crappy thing in your shopping cart and then suddenly it's like in your closet and you're like why did I do this so I'm I'm as like you know weak as the next person, (laughs) which is why I just stay out of those stores. (laughs) We choose what to wear for so many different reasons. We express who we are through our clothes. It's how we signal to the world what kind of people we are and what kind of people we hope to become. So can we think beyond ourselves when we're deciding what to wear and how to shop? Ultimately, the question is, what kind of individuals do we aspire to be? Elizabeth Klein is currently working on her first documentary. It's about the environmental and human rights impacts of the fashion industry. Once again, her book is titled Overdressed, The Shockingly High Cost of Cheap Fashion. And Nick Angeloff's book is The Dirty Side of the Garment Industry, Fast Fashion and Its Negative Impact on Environment and Society. Also, a few years ago, NPR's Planet Money team did an amazing piece of reporting where they followed the whole production chain of a t-shirt. You can find that story online. And as a quick reminder, please take a minute to write a review for us on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. Generation Anthropocene is produced by Leslie Chang, Miles Traer, and me, Mike Osborne. Production assistance this week from our wonderful intern, Isha Salian. Special thanks this week to Casey Holford. We also want to thank Tom Hayden and Pam Madsen. Our theme music is by Maserati, and our website is genanthro.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Gen Anthropocene. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. You look fantastic today. We good? Uh, yeah. <laughs>